You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Lord, your word commands us to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so it would be such a blessing if you would enable us to do that better today in light of this text. Lord, may we leave here with our minds more focused on Christ than ever before. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so tomorrow will be the ultimate fresh start. It's the beginning of the week, the beginning of the month, and the beginning of the year. So no one ever started anything new on a Thursday in the middle of March. All right, so since January 1st, is on a Monday this year. This has the potential to be a year of unprecedented accomplishment, in my opinion. So, the statistics for New Year's resolutions are not good. Uh, Many people will go out next week and purchase health club memberships. Four out of five, according to one article I read, will be done with those by March. Next Sunday, we'll get a little attendance bump, but those will be gone by February. And then many of you, within the next few days, will commit yourself to read the Bible through this year, and you will get to Exodus 25, (laughs) and you will say, what am I doing? Uh, That, by the way, I would be happy to help you with uh, if that's something you'd like to commit to. Um, I want to propose a worthy New Year's resolution for us all this morning. Uh, I want to propose that we would all resolve to know Christ better in 2018. And yes, that will involve reading your Bible more, and that will involve praying more, and that will involve coming to church more. But here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to guilt you into doing anything. I would say the fact that you're here on this cold December 31st with all the other things that are going on probably indicates that most of you know you should be doing better. And then the fact that many many New Year's resolutions will lie in flames by February indicates that guilt and good intentions don't get us very far. What gets us far is when we're motivated by something valuable. When I moved back to Savannah in 2008, uh, I had spent four years in Chicago. Y'all, this is nothing, okay? And uh, four winters staying inside. You don't get to exercise very much. I come back to Savannah, the land of my home. I'm surrounded by fried things uh, and dips and sweet tea. And uh, I commenced eating like I did when I was 17. And uh, you might say I put on a few pounds. So I went to the doctor and he said, well, If you don't do something to make some changes, you're not going to see your grandchildren. And I said, okay. And so I lost 50 pounds, all right? Uh, And it was because I heard him and I believed him, and it motivated me. Um, Y'all, I haven't been able to do it since. I mean, I'm not like a picture of like, you know, fitness right now. I'd love to do that again, but something caught me. Something caught me to make the change to stop drinking the soda, to do different things. And so in that moment, I was motivated to change. 
And so to be clear, my goal this morning is to show you who Christ is from this passage, to talk about what He has done, and then my, my sincere hope is that at the end, you also will commit with the power of the Holy Spirit to know Him better this year. So we started the book of Luke about a year ago. We started with Jesus' birth uh, a full year ago, and we talked about uh, the, the humility of His birth. That's why I, I had them sing this song, Thou Who Was Rich Beyond All Measure, All for Love's Sake, Became Poor, uh, Thrones Surrendered for a Manger, Sapphire Courts for a Stable Floor. Uh, there's, there's nothing, no one who has ever done anything more intentionally humiliating than what Jesus Christ did when He was born a man, and more than a man, He was born a baby and a poor one at that. The God who created all the stars in the heavens became a tiny little speck on this globe. For 30 years, He lived His life in a way that can only be described as normal. He cried, He laughed, He played with friends. He lost his earthly father. He fell down and he skinned his knee, and his mother had to comfort him. He probably grew up and had to support his mother and his brothers and sisters. He lived the life that you and I live except without sin. Then, in the last three years of his life, he began to minister. He began to teach his followers how to follow God, and he didn't just teach them. He showed them. He called out religious hypocrisy. Remember, we talked over and over again. The outside, the people who thought that they were outside, turned out they were in. The people who thought they were inside, turned out they were out. He called outcasts. He called sinners. He called the sick and the lame. And then, he went to Jerusalem, and he suffered, and he died for the sake of those who rejected him. And I'm summarizing here. You can go and listen to the whole thing on podcast later, but I'm trying to catch everybody up because we have one more scene this morning to look at in the book of Luke, and that is Jesus' ascension. Now, just in case you're not clear, Jesus Christ is a real man. He is still a real man. He lived a real life. He died a real death uh, after a, a week of, of suffering uh, that led to the cross in Jerusalem. He was placed in a grave. He really died, and He really walked out of that grave. And so, our question for this morning is, what happened next? Where is He right now? All right? So, I want to just look quickly because the New Testament writers are tantalizingly sparse, in my opinion, about what took place in Jesus' resurrection, the ascension, okay? So, I want to sort of ask that question. What happened between Jesus' resurrection and His ascension? Well, here's what we know. We know that He was on the earth in His resurrected body for 40 days, and we learn that from Acts 1-3. This is also Luke. Um, he presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God, all right? What we also learn from that passage is that during that time, He was teaching His followers many things, including the kingdom of God, all right? So, we saw that in Acts 1-3, Acts 1-4, um, it says He gave them instructions, and while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of God, which He said, you heard from me, from John, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, for 40 days, Jesus is going around explaining important things to His disciples. And let me say, 
Remember how those disciples on the road to Emmaus that we saw back at Thanksgiving, it said their heart burned within them as He was with them? What must it have been like to spend time with Jesus during those 40 days and to hear Him explain those things? John closes his gospel by saying the things that Jesus did could not be contained in all the books in the world. And I think that one day, if we are believers, we will think and we will get to hear Jesus explain the things that He did and the things that He has continued to do since He ascended to the Father. And I think it'll never get old. And I think our, our hearts will burn within us as we're in heaven hearing about the things that Jesus has done. Right? I, I think that 40 days, those 40 days after His resurrection are just a little picture of what heaven will be like. And then finally, we know that during His time, He appeared to specific individuals who would be able to witness that they saw Him alive. So, 1 Corinthians 15, 4-7 says He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, um, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And that concept there of those eyewitnesses is actually… Hold on. It's making me crazy. If I can't get it, I'm trying one more time. Forget it. That concept of those eyewitnesses is very important, uh, and here's why. Jesus died a very public death. Crucifixion was a very public death. It took place for all to see. Here's something else you can know about crucifixion. If somebody was crucified, they were dead, all right? If somebody in Galilee had heard about Jesus' crucifixion, if somebody had said, did you hear Jesus of Nazareth? He got crucified. They wouldn't have said, I wonder if he survived, because there's no way you survived crucifixion. In fact, if you were crucified, the Roman soldier who was there next to you, it was his responsibility to make sure you were dead, because if you weren't, he would be put on that cross after you. So everybody knew Jesus had died. But those 500 people who saw him during that 40 days, they were witnesses to the fact that he is alive. And that's why they were so important. Y'all, that time in between Jesus' resurrection and His ascension is very important because it proves that He is alive. If it wasn't for those 40 days, we might not be here today. But those people saw Him. Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, you can go and ask Him. Most of them are still alive. You can go and ask Him. They saw Him. There was an old praise song that we used to sing. Um, I, I don't know if you remember it. Probably 25 years ago. You came from heaven to earth. You know that one? To show the way. I won't sing it. Um, from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay, here it is, get this, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Skips a portion there. He didn't go right from the grave to the sky. He was alive for 40 days, and it's very, very important, and those witnesses are very, very important. Okay, one more question, and then we'll get to our text, I promise. But I want to ask this question, because I think it's interesting. What did Jesus' resurrection body look like? All right? So, here, the, the New Testament repeatedly connects Christ's resurrection with ours, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says uh, that, we are, that He was the first fruits of the resurrection. So, Jesus Christ was the first fruit, this, this harvest of resurrection bodies 
that is to come, and I believe we can look at Christ's resurrection body, and we can know something about what our body will look like, okay? Because he wasn't raised like Lazarus was raised. Lazarus raised, and he could get sick, and he could hurt, and he could die again. Jesus was raised to a body with no sickness, no illness, no suffering, no more death. And this isn't just theoretical, Okay, I think this is really important. It's worth our time. God hasn't left us in the dark on these things. I think we should teach our children about these things because too many people are building their theology of heaven on Looney Tunes. Okay, and what we're coming up with is that we're going to float up into the sky and we're going to sort of exist in this disembodied existence on a cloud with a harp and a halo, and it sounds terribly boring, and nobody wants to do that. And thankfully, that is not the picture that we have in the Scriptures of heaven at all. In the resurrection, what we see is Jesus being raised from the dead. And first of all, we see after the resurrection, Jesus had an actual physical human body. And so will we. He had an actual physical human body. Very simply, He was not a disembodied spirit. He walked on the ground. He didn't float. He broke bread. He ate with the disciples. In just a second, we'll look at a passage where He ate fish. The fish didn't, like, fall right through Him, right? It went inside of Him. He had a physical body. Matthew tells us that after the resurrection, the disciples came and they took hold of His feet. They didn't go like this. They they grabbed hold of actual physical feet. And so, what Jesus' resurrection demonstrates for us is that we are destined to have physical human bodies. That's the way God created us. The, the promise of the resurrection is not some spiritual existence. If that seems foreign to you, there's a reason, because God created us to have physical bodies and live on this earth, all right? Heaven is where God dwells. The Scripture says that when Jesus returns, heaven will come to earth, and that God will dwell with men. So, when you picture heaven, you picture this earth without sin. That's what heaven is going to be like, physical, okay? Secondly, after the resurrection, Jesus had a recognizable body, and so will we, all right? So, it kind of takes people a moment to recognize Jesus in the Gospels, and there's probably a, a lot of different reasons. At one point, you know, um, Mary is, is bowed, I think it's Mary, and she, she doesn't recognize Him, and she thinks He's the gardener. It could simply be that she has not looked Him in the eye yet, okay? But think about this, y'all. What if you saw somebody in a healthy state without age, without stress, without suffering? That person would look different, okay? So, you know, sometimes I'll like run into somebody that I saw in high school, that I knew from high school, you know, and it's like, is that, you know, I, they're, they look kind of like so-and-so, but they're older, less hair, you know, maybe a little bit rounder, you know. I, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, you look great, you know. That's, that's what we do. Well, think about it. Think about it from the other direction. Think about, you know, 50, 60 years from now, you and I meet in heaven, and you see me coming, and all of a sudden, I'm like this picture of health and fitness, and, you know, I look really athletic, and, and, and you're like, David, you really do look great. And I, and I, think, that's, I think that's the way it is with Jesus' body. He is recognizable, but there are aspects of His body no longer affected by sin that may have looked a little bit different. But here's what I want you to take away from this. 
in the resurrection, you will still be you. You will still be you in, in the resurrection. Think of the, our life and the next life as having continuity, okay? The only things that won't exist anymore are the things that are, res, are a result of the fall of sin, all right? So when you think of life in the new heaven and the new earth, think of life as it is right now except without sin. And if you're here this morning and you've been reluctant to think about going to heaven because it sounds boring to you. Think about this. Is this not exactly what Jesus would want? Is that not exactly what Jesus would want? Look, human beings, we laugh, we sing, we dance, we play. Do you think we came up with those things on our own? God created us. He created us with the ability and the desire to do those things. In, those th- in, in, in resurrection, we will do all of those things, but we will do them without sin, Right? Dirty jokes make you laugh, but they ruin laughter. Immorality ruins dancing. And if you think for a second that you have to sin in order to have fun, then you've never had fun because sin deadens. Sin takes away life. Sin makes you selfish. In in your resurrected, glorified body, you're you're going to want to give, and you're going to want to be joyful, and all the things that would would cause you to sin are going to be taken away, and y'all, we have not had fun like we will have in the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, so all of that brings us then to the end of Luke, okay, which is where I've been going. All right, I want to pick up in verse 24, I mean, chapter 24, verse 36. I know uh, Matt kind of covered this at Thanksgiving, but I just want to sort of bring you into this passage here, and I want you to see, first of all, they're all gathered together, and they're, they're talking about that they've kind of seen Jesus, they know He's around, and so Jesus appears in the midst of them. Look at verse 36 and 37. As they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they had seen a spirit. And so Luke says, Jesus stood among them. How did he get there? I don't know. But all of a sudden, he, and, I, and, and y'all, I have to believe, Jesus, I, I believe he wants to laugh. I believe he loves to laugh. I got to believe, as he says, peace be with you, you know, because it's kind of the equivalent of being like, boo. Uh, he's all of a sudden, he's like, peace be with you. And they're like, <gasps> like they're startled. They're, they're afraid. And I just, I got to believe he's got a little grin on his face when he does this. By the way, back to our previous question, what will our resurrection bodies be like? Will we be able to suddenly materialize in a room? I hope so. I hope so. I don't know for sure if that's part of Jesus' deity that He's manifesting there or if that's part of His resurrected human human body, but my goodness, how cool would that be to just all of a sudden be able to show up in a room? I don't know. I don't know. I'm leaning, yes. The whole like walking through a door thing, leaning yes, but we'll know for sure. Whatever it is, I guarantee you it will be very good, all right? So they're startled, they're frightened, they, they, they think that they've seen a spirit who has come back from the dead. And listen, don't lose how incredible this is all the time, your familiarity, okay? A lot of people think, well, in the ancient world, people were just coming back from the dead all the time. No, that's not absolutely not true. Put yourself in their shoes. If you have just gone to grandma's funeral and you have watched the, the casket close and you have lowered her into the grave and then your whole family gets together to have like a meal afterwards and all of a sudden she shows up in your midst and is like, hey, peace be with you, you would be afraid. You would say, what is going on here? And so that's exactly 
the reaction that the disciples have. So he assures them. He assures them that he's not a spirit. Verse 38, he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do your doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see feet. Spirit does not have flesh and bones as I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So this is really important. It's just really important for him that, that he shows them a physical, physical hands and feet, okay? I'm not a spirit. I, I, it is, it's me. And, and it says, they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. And he said to them, have you anything to eat here? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate before them, okay? And I just want you to see here, he is helping them to believe. Jesus, they don't believe yet, and he wants them to believe, and, and, and just a little devotional thought there is this. Jesus wants us to believe. He does not want us to persist in doubt. In fact, I would say that Jesus has given us things along the way to help us to believe. Jesus wants you to believe more than you want to believe. And so if you're a doubter this morning, if you're wondering this morning, is this all true, I would just encourage you, look for things that Jesus has given you, especially within His Word, to show you so that you can believe, because He wants you to believe. He's not playing some kind of cosmic game with you. And then so finally, Jesus prepares for His departure with an assurance and a command. Uh, He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opens their minds to the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. Okay, so there's an there's a, there's a assurance. Look, everything that just happened was in God's Word. It was in the Old Testament. And it says that he opened their eyes so that they could see. And they understood. And then he says, that's great. He says, now you are my witnesses. You've seen this. It's important. You've seen that I'm alive. You've seen that I'm physical, that I have really risen from the dead. Now you go out and you proclaim. But he gives them this one final command. He says, you go back into the city and you wait there until the promise from the Father. And that promise from the Father is the Holy Spirit that is going to come. All right? So that brings us to the final passage in Luke. And Luke gives us four short verses, only four verses to describe the ascension, and we're just going to take them in twos, two at a time. So let's look at the ascension. He led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands. He blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried into heaven. Now, Bethany should be familiar to you. Bethany was the place where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. They were his friends. This was a place where he visited a lot. Probably many of that 500 that he appeared to during those 40 days have gathered there. So it's his disciples plus others who have gathered there together, okay? And so they have all come there together, and the text says he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Now, I want to talk to you for a second about blessing. Probably most of us don't pay attention to most blessings, all right? So a lot of us call the thing that we do before a meal to give thanks a blessing, right? And let's just be honest. At the moment when somebody has set a large plate of food in front of us is not exactly the time 
when we're going to pay a lot of attention to what somebody is saying. I, I always say, if, if you're looking for a time to really and then we connect with God, let's wait till after the meal. You know, let's just give thanks, and then we'll get to it, and then we can, and then we can pray together afterwards, all right? So that, there's that blessing that we just sort of, you know, close our eyes and get through so that we can eat what's in front of us. Another type of blessing, then, is the benediction. So, benediction is another word for blessing. So, we often do that at the end of the service. One of us will come up and read a passage related to, and let's just be honest, a lot of us during a benediction, you know, kind of picking up our things, it's getting ready to be time to go, you know, over. you going to go get the kids, I'll go get the kids. Okay, I'll get the kids, you get the car. Okay. And, and you know, and then sort of like as soon as, as soon as amen, boom, we're out, right? Okay, this is not that kind of blessing. Right, Luke, this is the kind of blessing that you would have wanted to stay and listen to. Luke doesn't tell us what he was saying, but picture he's making precious promises to his disciples. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I will be with you. Everlasting peace is yours. Everlasting comfort is yours. I promise you that everything I said is true. I promise you power. I promise you that anything you ask in my name, I will do. And so get this, and I think this is so cool. Luke says that while he was still blessing them, he begins to ascend. He begins to go up and up out of you. Now, I don't think this is a coincidence. Here's what I think that means. Jesus leaves the earth blessing them, and he continues to bless his followers today. Jesus' last act on earth is that he goes up blessing them, and he continues to do so. What is the significance of the ascension? All right, and this is, a, this is a good question. We talk a lot about the death of Jesus, and we talk a lot about the resurrection of Jesus, but the ascension of Jesus is actually quite important in the Scriptures as well. Let me give you a few reasons why the ascension is important. First of all, it signifies the successful completion of His work. So, in Hebrews 10, chapter 2, chapter 10, verse 2, um, it, 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 the writer of Hebrews tells us that he went to the, the Father and he sat down, okay? Now, if you've ever looked at the furniture in the temple or the tabernacle, you'll see a lot of things. You'll see a table and you'll see lamps and you'll see altars, but there's one piece of furniture that is conspicuously missing, and that is a chair. There's no chair in the temple or the tabernacle. And the reason for that is simple. The priest's work was never done. He never finished. There was always another sacrifice for sins. One lamb sacrificed, paid for a sin, but another lamb had to be sacrificed in order to pay for the next sin. Jesus ascends to the Father, and He sits down because His work is done. His work is complete. Praise God, we don't need any more sacrifices. His offering is sufficient. Secondly, it symbolized His exaltation by the Father, okay? All right, so I love Philippians 2. We just finished up the Christmas season. It perfectly captures what Jesus did when He become, became a man. It says, though He was in a form of God, do not, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, when you hear that, think incarnation. Think nativity. Think ministry. Think death, okay? All of that is Jesus' humiliation. The ascension, though, 
belongs in verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The ascension demonstrates to us that Jesus is exalted. The, the ascension proves to us that the way of the cross is indeed the way to glory. The world wants to tell you that glory is about full stadiums and full bank accounts and, and, and lots of honor and lots of power, and Jesus came to show us, no, glory is about taking up your cross daily and following me, and then at the end of that road, you will be exalted by your Father in heaven. And the reason we know that is because Jesus ascended and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And if you're pursuing glory any other way, you're not going to get it. The way of the cross is the way to glory. Third, Jesus' ascension allowed for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gets together with his, his young disciples on the night before he dies, and he says, guys, I hate to tell you, but I'm going away. And they're sad. What? How is, how is that? And he says, no, I'm going away, but you know what? It's actually going to be good because I'm going to send something better. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And even better than having me with you right now is going to be having the Holy Spirit inside of you. I'm going to put the Holy Spirit in your heart. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone, and He is going to lead you, and you're going to want to obey. Number four, it signified the beginning of new work as high priest. Hebrews 7 tells us that Jesus Christ lives forever to make intercession for us, which means this, the real physical human being who is Jesus Christ, a man who is somewhere in this universe right now, I suspect closer than we think, he is seated next to the Father. He is the second person to the Trinity, and He is making intercession for you and me. He is praying for us. He is asking the Father for things for us. He is interceding on our behalf. He is bringing your deepest needs and your concerns, a real person, y'all, to the Father. Y'all, people say Doc's thought. And again, how is that boring? That is a glorious thought. And again, don't you think it's in Satan's best interests to, to have you believe that doctrine is boring? Listen, tomorrow, the Rose Bowl will be on TV. Thousands of Georgians will be seated in front of their television sets. Some have even made a pilgrimage. There will be cheering, and there will be singing, and there may even be crying, okay? I'll be there. Not at the Rose Bowl, but in front of the TV. Get this. My wife thinks football is boring. She thinks football is boring. You know what else she thinks is boring? She thinks Star Wars is boring. She made me take all my kids by myself. Okay? You know what she doesn't think is boring? You know that BBC version of Pride and Prejudice that's like six hours? That's not boring to her. She likes that. I would even say that's exciting to her. Nothing is intrinsically boring. 
You know what we always say? I mean, what is the very, like, picture of boring? Watching paint dry, right? I will guarantee you there are people out there who work for paint companies, and they don't think that's boring. I will bet you there are people who are like, I have been studying this, and I have got this coat of paint, and it dried five seconds shorter than the last one. Isn't that amazing? He thinks it is. At heart, our boredom implies disinterest. And if we're bored hearing the doctrine of the resurrection at its most basic level, what it means about us is that we're disinterested. And I'll grant, some people may be more gifted at explaining things than other people are, but if you're interested, you'll suffer through. Have you ever listened to what people are actually saying during those football uh, broadcasts? It's ridiculous. Do you know that the average length of a football game is three hours and 12 minutes? Do you know how much action is taking place? 11 minutes. We watch. That means for three hours, nothing is happening. And we watch. I have the problem. I understand. But I'm interested. Y'all, I assure you, there is nothing boring about God. Nothing. He is the least boring being in the universe. Everything about him is infinitely interesting, and we are going to spend eternity never getting close to the bottom of it. If you think he's boring, then you need to know him better. Speaking of not boring, the res- the this sets the pattern for his return. Acts 1.11, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taking up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then Zechariah 14.4, on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half shall move southward. Jesus Christ is going to return the same way He came, that same Mount of Olives. His feet are physically going to touch down on that Mount of Olives, and it is going to split in two. And there's going to be a valley, and it's really going to happen. And there's one more thing He does in the ascension that's important for us. He goes to prepare a place for us. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, and that where where I am, there you may be also. If you're here this morning and your life has not turned out like you wanted it to, maybe because of suffering, maybe because of children, maybe because of pain, maybe because of lost loved ones, maybe you're like, you know what? There was a house I just... I had this house pictured that I was going to have. I wanted that house, and I've just never been able to have it. I wanted a family, and I've never been able to have it. I wanted this. I saw myself having this. Listen to me. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you, and it will be perfect. It will be exactly what you want. It will be exactly what you need. If your body has failed you, you're going to get a new one, and it will be perfect. If you, if you have, you know, this whole, like, you only live once, no. 
We only live in this life once, but we're going to live in eternity forever. You guys, I believe God created us. We are all the people we are. We have, we have been given talents. We've been given abilities. We've been given dreams. I see no reason to create a bucket list here because I see no reason to believe that we will not continue on in glory doing all the things that God has put us in our hearts to want without sin. If you want to play baseball, I see no reason why you wouldn't play baseball. If you want to hit a golf ball, I see no reason why you won't be able to hit a golf ball. If you want to write books, if you want to sing songs, if, if you want to jump and run and climb and you've never been, into, been able to, Jesus has designed a body for you, and it will be there, and he is preparing a place for you, and it will be exactly, exactly what you need. All right, so Luke 24, verse 52 through 53 the response, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. They know everything. Y'all, they know everything. They've seen it all. Their training is complete. And what is their response? Their response is worship. It's really cool. This is the first time that Luke uses the word worship in his gospel because it's done. Here he is. This is Jesus Christ. Look at him. And they fall down and they worship him. Here's a great quote. It was the purest kind of worship of which human beings are capable, fully informed firsthand experience. They knew the risen Christ just as they had known the incarnate God of the years of his ministry. They understood the Scripture and how it pointed to Him and how everything was fulfilled in Him, and they knew the future kingdom was to come, and they knew He would be back, and they exploded into worship then and there. Y'all, one day He's going to appear again, and we will explode into worship. We will see things as it really is. We will see Him as He really is. And Luke concludes by telling us that they obeyed. They went to Jerusalem, and they waited there for the Holy Spirit. So, my proposal for 2018 is that we as a body resolve to know that Christ, the one who is seated, seated at the right hand of the Father right now, that we resolve to know Him better. And in light of all of that, why would it? After a year's worth of sermons, we have seen who Jesus is, and we have seen what He has done, and we know where He is right now. And so the question is simple. Will you believe it? So to, to conclude this morning, I have two simple points of conclusion, very, very short. Number one, understanding leads to worship. Understanding leads to worship. The more you know Christ, the more you will worship Him, plain and simple. Human beings encounter the truth about God, and we fall on our knees because the truth is so amazing. And all the people who were gathered around that day and saw the ascension, they worshiped, they saw clearly. You were made to know God. It is the only thing that is going to satisfy you. When you know Him, you will be content. Everything else fails. Vacations come to an end. Friends disappoint us. Family members die. Our thirst for sin only leaves us 
terribly, terribly unsatisfied. So hear this, please. Knowing God in Jesus Christ is the perfect blend of having enough and wanting more. Heaven will be our perfect experience of having everything we need and wanting more. This is why we end our services with singing, by the way, with more singing, because we want to respond to the truth that we've just heard. And in a few moments, I hope you'll sing in light of Christ and who He is as the ascended Lord. Secondly, this, worship, understanding leads to worship. Secondly, worship leads to obedience. After they worshiped, they went out and they obeyed. They did what Jesus told them to do. They went to Jerusalem and they waited on the Holy Spirit. And so should we. We should obey. We should gather here on Sunday mornings and we should hear the Word proclaimed, know Jesus better, worship Him, and then we should go out and do what He says. It's that simple. If you are a person who wakes up in the morning and you read your Bible, you spend time with the Lord, you should read your Bible, you should be drawn to to worship, to see Jesus who He is, and then you should go out and obey. That's what we do. So here's my question. Will you commit to know Christ in 2018, to know Christ better? It would be my joy to help you with that. We have others here on staff who it would be their joy to help you. I would love to help you know Christ for the first time, or I would love to help you deepen in your relationship with Him, and we have other pastors on staff who would as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help CBC to know Christ and to know all that you have given us in him. Help us to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.